If you want to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, I just got to say I'm, I'm stoked for Thanksgiving Sunday. It's going to be awesome. Uh, I'm, I, I might be more excited than ever because this will be the first year of being a good life where I didn't have to write an annual report. <laughs> Can I get an amen? <laughs> you know, on, um, on Thanksgiving Sunday, we come to say thanks to God for all that he's done, all that he's brought us through, and and I hope that, that you will come with a heart that leans towards generosity. But I, I also want to just say, I hope you'll come with some, some words of encouragement, some gifts, some flowers, some nice bottles of wine for our pastoral team. For Stephen, for Ruth, for Mike, for Greg, for Hannah. You know, in the States, we have a thing called Pastor Appreciation Month. We don't do it here in Australia, but I reckon we should start it. Because these guys are amazing. Can we just say thank you to them this morning? I'm making it, I'm making it one, of, one of my goals to be an advocate for the, the gratefulness for pastors now that I'm not in that space. But you guys give above and beyond. And I'm, I'm humbled by your modeling of that. And I'm just so grateful for you, Mike, and for Stephen and Ruth. Um, it, is, it is a joy to be back in this building with you this morning. And I told Mike as we get, get, got ready to start, I said, you know what, maybe I'm just really excited because I'm going to know all the worship songs. <laughs> and then we learned a new one. <laughs> I, am, I am really excited to be here this morning. Uh, but I... I uh, I have had an amazing couple of uh, months. You know, I started at Compassion in September, and I've been doing the drive to Brisbane, which is amazing in the morning and terrible in the evening. But you know what the nice thing about that is, is I get to stop at Costco as a halfway point. Does anybody know what Costco is? It is the world's best shop, right? Like, you can go into Costco... And you can get a lifetime supply of butter, you can get steaks, you can get a new couch, you can get a coffin on the way out of the shop, all while your car is getting new tires. Right? This is God's gift. Wait, no, this is not what I'm speaking about, but Costco is amazing. And, and, and you know, you might not ever need a 10-pound uh, tub of Vegemite, but if you do need it, Costco has got you covered. Anyway, I was at Costco, which uh, is, is not remarkable, but um, I was walking down a, a lot of the aisles. They've got heaps of new aisles of Christmas stuff, and I was walking down the aisles, and I heard in the next aisle over this parent, guardian, adult say, you know everything's not about you, right? And I was like, oh, that's interesting, so... I walked around the corner, and I saw this five- or six-year-old child in the cart with, like, this horrified look. Like, what do you mean it's not about me? Right? Like, isn't everything about me? They could not believe the words that were coming out of this adult's mouth, right? They thought everything was about them, and I have this same problem. I think about me a lot, more than I should, right? And I think the biggest place I think about it that has really risen to the surface in this new season of life is when I'm in the car, right? Why did that person cut me off? 
I don't have any idea why that driver of the black Volvo cut me off just right in front of me here in the church parking lot. Does anybody have a black Volvo? Right? I, I, I think it's about me, like in what I want and, and how I'm going and how fast I need to get somewhere. Really, the, the, the me is doing a lot of heavy lifting in my life. Right? It's, it's always about me, and I have to step back from that. The ego wants what the ego wants. It's a human issue. It's easy for us to think that everything is about us, our life, our career, our family, my job, my church, even the way we sometimes read the Bible. It's easy to make it about us. We're even quick to find ourselves in the story, right? We, we read the stories and we want to find ourselves in it. It's natural. It's a normal devotional way, right, of, of working out our life and the teachings of Jesus. But if we're not careful, we become the hero of the story and not Jesus. And today I, I want to encourage us with some of the teaching of Jesus about how, again, we are, are called to have this others-focused mentality. That's what Jesus has called us to. I was listening to a podcast recently about America and the season of Christianity. It's in there, and this quote stood out to me. I went back, and I, I listened to it again, and I, I was able to get it off of the Internet. And I think it would be helpful for us to hear it, to sit with the implications for our own relationship with Christ and even as, as Australia as a nation on a larger scale. Remember the context of this is not us, it's America. It says white Christianity in America suffers from a bad case of Disney princess theology. As each individual reads scripture, they see themselves as the princess in every story. They're Esther, but never Xerxes or Haman. They are Peter, but never Judas. They are the woman anointing Jesus, never the Pharisees. They are the Jews escaping slavery, never Egypt. For the citizens of the most powerful country in the world who enslaved both native and black people to see itself as Israel and not Egypt when studying scripture is a perfect example of Disney princess theology. And it means that as people in power, we have no lens for locating ourselves rightly in scripture or society. It's made us blind and utterly ill-equipped to engage the issues of power and injustice. It's actually some very weak Bible work. And as I read those words, as I sit with the implication of my own life and how I read Scripture and how I understand my own ego and the, the drive and the desire for everything to be about me and how I feel and how I react to things, I'm reminded of that refrain of the Matt Redman song, Right? I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing that I've made it because it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I don't want to live in a space where I'm the hero of my story. I don't want to live in a space where we idolize our efforts over the efforts of Jesus. I want to live in a space where the source of my life is Jesus and the love that he has for me and the love that he has for others because it is that love of Christ that compels me. It's what the scripture teaches us. It should be the love of Christ that compels us. We have this ongoing dilemma. It's not about us. 
But in our humanness, we so often want to make it about us. And when we mess up and we fail or outright move in the opposite direction of Jesus, we have a tendency to feel condemned. We think or feel that God is going to respond to us in the same way that that adult was responding to the child in Costco. You know everything's not about you, right? And our image and our concept of God gets mixed up with our own human and ego. ego. But God responds differently, and that's where I, I want to look today in Matthew chapter 7. God responds so incredibly differently, and Jesus shows us this with this Sermon on the Mount. And if you weren't here when we went through the Beatitudes and uh, the, the, the ninefold path of Jesus, I encourage you to go back and, and re-watch those videos on YouTube because it begins to lay a foundation for our life in Christ and Jesus being the source of that love and how we can walk in his way. But in chapter 7, we're, we're kind of finishing up this Sermon on the Mount, and I want to look at just a few verses and focus on one of them today. It's from chapter 7, verse 7 through 12, and this is what it says. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. God responds differently than the adult parent who tells the child in that menacing way that this is not about you. He reminds us that he is a good father. He reminds us that he is going to give us what we need, but out of this, our outlook should be others-focused. And this is the verse that I want to camp out on today, is this verse 12. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. What can we learn from the golden rule in the context of living for Jesus instead of self-interest or self-defense. I think it's important for us to begin in this space where we understand it's others-focused. We see this from Jesus throughout his teaching. He didn't come to shake an accusing finger. He came to help, to put things right. But for us in our humanity and our self-interest or self-defense, we have a tendency to really sit with, with this and, and to want to love those close to us, but those who are not close to us or those who do us wrong, we're happy to let them get what they deserve. And I honestly don't think that that's too harsh to say. So as followers of Jesus on this journey and this mission with him, helping to heal the world, how do we stop living for ourselves and, and really embrace the golden rule, this arrows-out mentality, this others-focused way of living? I think first we have to understand that the source of this golden rule, as it's called, is the love of Christ. I believe that when we receive and experience the love of Jesus, we're transformed, and we're being transformed into his way of love that helps us learn and helps us relate to others. In everything, we can act toward others the way that we would want them to act toward us. And out of this, I've created just a little of four lessons that I'm learning through this. 
as I was studying it, as I've kind of begun this new season of life, there, there are some things that, that I think have really jumped out at me as I've been contemplating this. And I think that maybe we can learn something from them together, but this is by no means a comprehensive list or formula for you having a great life, right? This is about us learning to relate to one another as followers of Christ and then relating to the world around us. The first lesson is that I want to learn to build rather than burn. I want to learn to build bridges instead of burning them down. Shame tells us that that we can't build community because we're too broken. But Jesus tells us that community is one of the biggest ways that we encounter him. So my encouragement is to run towards that community, to share your life with others. If you're not getting invited into the community that you want, build the community that you need. Invite others into your space. Don't burn bridges with people. Build them. And I understand that this is one of those things that it doesn't happen like automatically. And I don't know if you're anything like me, but I want the California plan right? I want it to happen now, today. I just started last week a new 28-day gym challenge. Worst decision I've ever made. I could barely walk after the induction, right? Like, oh, and the diet is so strict, right? But like, I, I, I want to burn that bridge immediately. I'm complaining to my wife all of the time about how Bad things are. It's awful. Right? But that's our tendency, right? We want what we want when we want it. And actually, things take time. There's a physiological thing going on in my body as I'm trying new things and exercising new ways. It's the same with building community. It takes time. And we get up on on Sunday and we look in the mirror and think we're going to look differently because we started exercising on Saturday. And I can tell you, I was actually heavier the next day. Like, this is not working, right? And we feel the same way when it comes to building community. We're like, I tried that, and I got rejected. I tried that, and it didn't work. I tried that, and the people that I wanted to hang out with didn't want to hang out with me. I understand that it's a process, and I'm not asking you to to be a stepping stool. I'm asking you to invite others into your life. Build bridges, don't burn them. Which I think has a has a has a fall a flow on effect, right? We're we're not just learning to, to build bridges, we're learning to initiate rather than waiting for the invitation. I love what Mike says. It's one of my favorite things that he has said since he has started coming here. No one stands alone. If we see someone alone, we should go and, and hang out with them. We should go and find out if they want to be alone or if they're just alone because they don't know anybody. There's a huge difference. One's an introvert, and maybe they just want to be alone. That's okay. But, like, this is, this is we shouldn't wait for someone to come and talk to us. We should go and build community with others. No one stands alone. I think it's good for us to understand our levels of comfort, right, and, and, and know that, that we're not going to move from talking to somebody on a Sunday next to us during the greeting time to, like, doing Christmas together the next week. Like, I understand that that's a big jump, but, but what I'm asking is for us as followers of Jesus, who's, 
whose source is this king of majesty, this, this giver of life and love, is that we would move one step closer to discomfort for community. That we would get out of our comfort zone and that we would initiate, that we would do for others what we hope or we want or we wish someone would have done for us. Learn to initiate instead of wait for the invitation. I remember when I was doing some, some coaching uh, with uh, a Christian guy a, a few years ago. He, he, he would always ask me, what, what's, what's the most significant thing for us to talk about today? And he would, he would always talk to me uh, about what, what was it that I needed. And, and I'm an introvert, so I, I don't I don't necessarily like large groups of people, and I'd, I'd like doing things alone. And the words from my youth pastor would reverberate in my ears. Ryan, if you do things alone, you deserve to do things alone. And, and out of that, my time with my coach, I, I understood, actually, I need people. That's how God set it up was that I would be with people. It doesn't matter if you're an introvert or an extrovert. We need people in our lives. And I understand we, we only have a limited amount of connections. That's, that's true. But I would hope that we wouldn't wait for someone to invite us, but that we would initiate. The third thing I'm learning is I'm learning to express gratitude rather than the airing of grievances. I don't know if you're familiar with Seinfeld and Festivus and the, the day where you're allowed to just share everything that you're upset about other people. It was the, the day for airing grievances. But in the church, it's become all too common that, that every day is the opportunity for us to air our grievances. And, and I would hope that, that when, we, when we live in the context of, of the golden rule of Jesus, that, that we would be those kinds of people that would learn to express gratitude rather than airing grievances. Colossians 3 says, Let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. Since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. There's just something about gratitude that is powerful. You know, scientific studies have shown that gratitude, although it takes time, it has long-lasting effects. Because gratitude, what it does is it unshackles us from the toxic emotions and it increases our life satisfaction. It, it actually rewires our brain. Like studies have shown this. How cool is it to see that science backing up scripture? Right, this, is, this is an interesting thing. I, I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says. He says, in ordinary life, we hardly realize we receive a great deal more than we give. And that is only with gratitude that life becomes rich. What would it look like if if we were to learn to express gratitude instead of the airing of grievances. Another thing I'm learning is learning to give rather than to take. And this is one of my favorite verses. It's from Proverbs 11.25, and it says, He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Encouragement can change a life, right? Like, I don't know if you're anything like me, but like my, my, like my, my default is to see the questions, to see the problems, to ask 
questions that maybe people aren't asking. And so it's to see where there could be an issue so that down, li down the line, we don't have that issue. That's how my brain works. But there's a, a way to it that that's not very life-giving to people. When someone comes to you with a great idea and then you just start knocking it down, it was Daniel and I, when we were on staff together, we, we had a, a, a tenuous relationship at the first because he would have so many good ideas and then I would tell him how bad those ideas were. And, and it was a difficult thing. But once we realized, actually, there's, there's a way for me to, to share, to encourage, and to also ask the questions that needed to be asked, then it didn't deflate or defeat or make people feel bad about what they had just dreamt up. That could be an incredible God dream. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. I, I, I find that to be incredibly true. When I go out of my way to encourage someone, when I go out of my way to stop negative death talk and invite life talk into a situation, it changes the atmosphere of the room that we're in. What does it look like for us to give encouragement instead of always just knocking stuff down, being a taker? These are just a few lessons that I'm learning as I contemplate these teachings of Jesus to be others-focused, to do unto others as you would have them do to you. Build bridges, don't burn them. Initiate instead of wait. Express gratitude instead of erring and grievance and giving rather than taking. As long as we look at the world through the lens of self-interest and self-defense, we will never see the world as God sees it. The source of the golden rule is love. And I hope that as followers of Jesus, that we can take these things on board, even add our own lessons to them, to see what, what God is doing in our hearts, to share it with others, to build this community I can't tell you how good it was to come in here today. This is our community, and we want it to look like Jesus. This last week, or it's been a couple-week process, um, my son came home. You know my youngest son. He's, he's amazing. His name's Charlie. He, um, yeah, he's something else. <laughs> he had cooked up a plan with his best friend. He's getting ready to turn 12 next week. And he had cooked up a plan to not, not go to Mountain Creek next year, but to go to this new school, Palmview. And him and his best friend were going to go there. And so Charlie got all the stuff and did the interview and got accepted. Had the interview last week. It was, it was beautiful. He was nervous. He was scared. But he did a great job. And we're really excited that he got in. It's going to be a great school. Uh, Still going to have to drive him to school, which is not going to be great. So anyway, um, his, his best friend calls him maybe the afternoon after the interview or before the interview and said, Charlie, oh, man, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't just like 11-year-olds, right? Like you're listening to this and it's the end of the world. Charlie, I don't know what I don't know what to do. I got it, I got accepted into the STEM program at Mountain Creek. But I really want to go to school with you. These guys are peas in a pod. 
You can't separate them. And Charlie didn't even miss a beat. He said, Landon, that's your dream. You, you got to go. Like, don't worry about me. You got to go to Mountain Creek. It's going to be amazing. Live your dream, Landon. When did we stop living like that? Maybe some of us are, and I applaud you. But I forgot how to do that a long time ago. And I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like Charlie. I want us to walk in this kind of community where we can look other people in the eyes and say, live your dream. How can I help? How can I support? How can I love you? How can I be a part of this great thing that God is doing in this place? How can I treat you the way that I want to be treated? And stop waiting for things to change and actually be the answer to the prayer that we've always prayed. Because Jesus is our source. And the source of this golden rule is the love of Christ. It transforms our hearts it rewires our brains, and it helps us to walk with all people. The worship team's going to come, but I, I just want to pray for you today that, that we together as a community would recommit to learning these lessons of the teachings of Jesus, that we'd walk in the way of trust, that we would trust him for everything. Can I pray for you today? Heavenly Father, thank you for our time together. God, thank you for the Sermon on the Mount. God, thank you for the beauty and the depth of your word. God, I pray that it finds a home in our heart today. That as we consider and contemplate this others-focused way of living, God, that we would just again uh, be in relationship with you that it would start with you, that it would end with you. And God, as we worship, as we sing these songs, as we think about the things that are in front of us, I pray that your Holy Spirit would bring to our, our mind people, situations, circumstances in which we could help, that we could invite, that we could build, that we could encourage that we could share just that, that beautiful idea of how can I help you find your dream. God, I know that you're with us, and I thank you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's worship together.